Hello and welcome to the BVC podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message.
isn't truly peace. Today we're concluding our series called Promises Under Pressure, and if I was going to hand out a quiz on this series, the question on the quiz would be, can you name the five T's of the Promises Under Pressure series? And the answer to that question would be, the first one would be uh, Philippians, the series Promises Under Pressure. We've taken a look at the four chapters of Philippians, which was written by Paul, which is about the promises of God. But Paul is writing about the promises of God while in prison and facing all kinds of pressure. And today I want to add a sixth P to the conclusion of the series Promises Under Pressure, and that is peace. Paul's sitting in the last place that anybody would ever want to go to experience peace. Paul was facing a very real threat of death and martyrdom. Not exactly the scenario that you think of when you think of the word peace. Yet though Paul was not in a place of peace, and he was not looking at a future that would be defined by peace, nevertheless, in the midst of all of that, he writes these words in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now we're going to jump into each of the verses in this scripture, but I actually want to begin by looking at the last few words of what we just read. Because the last few words when God, when, when Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you, Paul was kind of talking code, and here's what I mean by code. Each and every one of us belongs to certain subsets within our culture. You may be from Indiana, you may be from Brownsburg, you may be a teacher, you may be a nurse, you may be a a sports fan, you may be a fisherman, you may be a hunter. And if you belong to those subsets, there are certain languages, certain sayings that everybody understands. And if you say it, people in that subset understand. Gwen comes home every day from the hospital as a nurse, and she speaks code to me. She speaks nursing code to which I nod obediently to, even though I don't understand it. But when Paul said, and the God of peace will be with you, his readers understood the significance of that. Because as fellow Jews, his readers would have recalled what Isaiah said in chapter 7, and the virgin will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And they understood what Paul was saying. One of the uniqueness about the Judeo-Christian faith is that we have a God who dwells with us. And because we serve a different type of God, we 
can expect a different type of peace. Do you understand that? But because we serve a God that has come to live and dwell and breathe within us, then we define peace differently. We find peace somewhere else. When Paul talks about peace, he's not talking about a peace that is elusive, but a peace that is always available. He's not talking about a peace that is easily interrupted by the circumstances around us because he's talking about a peace that is internal. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that stands under the pressure. It's the type of peace that you can have when somebody says something that deeply offends you. And you have the peace to walk away. You have the peace to be able to still love them. And your heart isn't filled with bitterness or anger. It's the type of peace that when financial stress comes into your life, you don't lose sleep over it. You have peace that God is going to be your provider. It's the type of peace that allows you to be in a relationship that isn't working, in a relationship where the other person isn't pulling their weight, in a relationship that, that isn't what you expected. But it's, it's the peace that allows you to hold on to your commitment, to stand in your commitment, to believe that things will work out, to love and to carry a greater burden and a greater weight of love. It's the type of peace that allows you to do that. It's the type of peace that allows you to hear a doctor's diagnosis that may be negative, but you know that you have a God who can do positive things. It's the type of peace that when your prayers aren't answered as quickly as you hope, you don't lose faith. It's the type of peace that when you get a flat tire, you don't say the F word. It's the type of peace that when you're even facing death, you go, but I've got something to look forward to. That is the type of peace that Paul is talking about. And so I kind of want to stop at this moment, and I want to give each of you kind of an opportunity to buy into this message. Because if you're like me, you want more of that peace, right? If you're like me, you want to experience that on a more consistent basis. So before I go any further, I'm inviting you to be part of this message by taking this time and I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to join with me in your heart in this prayer of essentially saying, yes, God. Yes, God, I want that promise fulfilled in my life. I need this, God. So let's pray. God, I find myself so frequently, so easily anxious that one little detail of my day can be thrown off and I can lose my peace. That one person saying one thing can rob me of my peace. And God, I want a peace that allows me to sleep through the storm. this morning that those online and those in this room are praying that and desiring that. And so I pray as I continue these words on peace and on your promise of peace, that Holy Spirit, you would work in our lives and allow this message to take seed within us and 
doesn't just talk about God's promises of peace here. But what he does is he makes a critical statement about peace. He actually uses in here, and he says, you've heard anything from me or seen anything from me, put into practice. He uses the word practice, and our big idea today for around peace is this. That God's promise of peace is predicated on our practice of peace. You have God's promise of peace, but you also have the command, the encouragement to practice peace. And like so many other things in our relationship with God, and so many of the other things, the promises that we read in here, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the blessings that we read in here, so many of the things that that God offers us and that are, are available to us, there is a partnership between God's faithfulness and our faithful practice. God's faithful promise is going to come to pass in the invitation for us to faithfully practice what we need to practice. Now, when I was out in Colorado, my son and I were out for the day, and we were in this town with a nice lake, and he has this beautiful little dog called Honey, and Honey had never swam before. So we go for this walk, and there's these two guys, which are these three amazing dogs, which are like great swimmers. And so Honey starts playing with them, and we're trying to encourage Honey to swim. And here's the reality, and if you know, if you've ever owned a dog, you know this. Dogs don't need swimming lessons. Every dog knows how to swim, but they might not know that they know how to swim. On that day, Honey started out not knowing he could swim and ended up realizing he could have swam all along. And so what we did is we, we would throw this little cloth frisbee out a few feet, and Honey could walk on the, on the bottom of the, the river to get it and then come back, and we'd throw it out a little further, and, and with the encouragement of the other dogs, finally we threw the frisbee out far enough, and Honey had had the taste of that frisbee in his mouth, and finally she started swimming, like she knew how to swim all along. What I want you to understand is that you and I have the capability for things. You and I possess certain things. There are certain things that are within us because God is within us. But we will never realize those things. We will never actualize those things. We will never possess those things unless we step off the shore. Unless we put into practice what God is doing. Unless we take that step of faith. Unless we put into practice everything that you have seen or heard from me put these things into practice. And what I want us to do today is to look at the words of Philippians 4, 4 through 9, because essentially if you break these verses down, what you'll discover in these verses is Paul is outlining how to put peace into practice. If you want to experience that peace, put these things into practice. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What things do you need to put into practice in your life that will allow this peace that passes all understanding to come to the surface? What things do you need to put into practice so you are partnering with the Prince of Peace and you become a model of peace in a world that is filled with anxiety? What does that look like? What does that mean? And what are we called to do to become people of peace? And the first thing that Paul says is that if you want to experience this peace, then you need to practice a glad heart. Paul begins the words that we read by saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That word rejoice in the Bible is translated or can be translated, be glad. Rejoice and be glad are synonymous in the Bible. 
And rejoicing and be glad are just a consistent theme throughout the Bible. You find it from both Old Testament and the New Testament. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Be glad, be glad, be glad. And what the Bible teaches us about rejoicing and being glad is that rejoicing and being glad is not an emotion, but it's an action. And that's something that in order for us to really understand this and comprehend what Paul is saying in here, we have to completely change our definition of what it means to be glad. Be glad is not an emotional response to your circumstances, but it's an intentional decision of the will. I am going to choose to be glad. Listen to what is said in Psalm 32. Be glad in the Lord. That's a command. That's a directive. Do this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. That, that is the, the author of this psalm saying, here, do this. Wake up tomorrow and begin your day by being glad and rejoicing in the Lord, you righteous. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Being glad is something that we choose to do. You could define that word rejoice. Every time you see the word rejoice in Scripture, you could define that as an intentional expression of gladness that transcends our situation. See, what rejoicing and being glad means is you walk into every situation, you start every day, you end every day, and in the middle of the every day, you say, today, and in this moment, I'm making a choice to be glad. It doesn't matter if I have a flat tire or if I'm in prison, or it doesn't matter if my stock investments are down or my stock investments are up. It doesn't matter if my spouse is nice to me or not nice to me. It doesn't matter whether my kids were a pain in the butt this morning or whether they were great this morning. It doesn't matter. I'm choosing to be glad today. I'm choosing to rejoice today. It's a choice that God calls us to. And so He calls us to practice finding things to be glad about. Now I want you to think about this. And this is a very serious question. Let me ask you this question. How good are you at finding things to be glad about? In fact, I would suggest that this is one of the great metrics or measurements of the depth of somebody's faith. You want to measure somebody's faith and maturity in God, watch their ability to find things to be glad about. Do they walk into situations and find things to rejoice about? Do they see the goodness of God? Do they find themselves in situations where everybody else is complaining about, but yet they find that one silver lining, but yet they always manage to see the positive, but yet they manage to always find hope, but yet they manage to call upon the memories of the past and the promises of the future and be glad in the situation. See, you and I aren't wired to be that way. Our human nature, our sin nature, it's counterintuitive. It's the easiest thing in the world to find things to complain about, isn't it? You could go out to a nice restaurant and have an amazing meal while there are billions of people in this world starving, and you'll walk away and you'll say, I didn't have enough coupons on my salad. Right? We are wired that way. And that's why understanding that being glad and rejoicing is a command, it's a directive, and it's an action, and it's not an emotion, changes everything. And if you want peace in your life, then practice being glad. Practice finding the goodness of God. Because the more you are recognizing the goodness of God, the more you'll be at peace. If you're seeing the goodness of God, then you can trust 
in the goodness of God. So here you find Paul sitting in prison, very likely facing death, and he is telling other people, hey, rejoice and be glad. God is good. How good are you at finding something to be glad about? The next thing that Paul says is the way that you practice peace is to practice a guarded mind. Practice a guarded mind. Paul says these words. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is uh, true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, we could do an entire series, and maybe next year we will do an entire series on the mind and the importance of the mind. As a side note, it's just amazing what's happening right now. The, the convergence of brain science and Christianity. Right now, researchers and scientists are discovering all sorts of things about the mind and the thought process that only confirm, surprise, surprise, what God has said about the mind for thousands of years. The chemical makeup of the mind, the reaction of the mind to the situation, but science is only confirming what the Bible has told us for years, the importance of the mind. If you haven't ever read Joyce Meyer's book, Battlefield of the Mind, I would highly recommend that book. If I were to suggest six books that every Christian should read to form their faith, The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers would be one of them. But I just want to share kind of one analogy with you about the mind that Paul kind of alludes to in these words here. And I call this the chain of thought analogy. Now imagine, if you will, that a thought is a single link of a chain. By the way, these, these are, I got these off of Amazon. They're little chains that you put in cages. Didn't know that. Anybody have a parrot or a bird, you can have these chains after I'm done. I don't have any use for them other than right now. So a thought is a single link in a chain. Imagine it as that, right? Not a lot of impact. A single thought does not have a lot of impact on us. A single thought is not that effective, does not accomplish much. But the reality is that you and I don't think in single thoughts. We think in sequential thoughts, right? One thought leads to another. One thought causes us to think of another thought. And so we might think, you know what? The market is down. And that thought might cause us to be a little nervous and then, oh, not only is the market down, but the gas prices are really high. And then, oh, man, the gas prices are high, the market is down, my job is a little less secure than it ever used to be. And then now you start thinking about your job security and you think, you know what, the supply chain has slowed down, we can't get a hold of things, I'm not sure what's going to happen. We throw out country, start thinking about that, and you think, did you hear Bill Gates is buying all kinds of farmland? What's going on there? Are we ever going to be able to eat? Who's controlling all of our food? And you start getting worried. And then, you know what, I talked to my financial advisor, and he said the social security system might not last another 10 years. Is it going to be there for me when we retire? And then you think, man, I went to Kroger today to pick up my prescriptions. Can you believe the price of prescription drugs? And then you look on the TV, and the interest rate for mortgage goes up. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to afford another home. And then you think, have you ever seen the size, or have you noticed lately that the size of food is shrinking? They're not giving us as much food anymore. You start to get anxious about that. And then you go, man, all of this keeps happening. I think I'm going to end up in the poorhouse. 
And all of a sudden, that one thought led to a very powerful chain of thoughts. And now that chain is pulling your mind from a place of peace and you create a place of anxiety. We put these chains of thoughts together all the time. We may walk into McDonald's and the server might not be very friendly to us and we walk out and go, well, that was kind of rude of them. And then you start to think, you know what, people just generally aren't very nice to me. What's, what's wrong with me? Why are, why are people rude? And then you go to work and you know, my boss was rude to me. That's the third person today that was rude to me. What is wrong with people? And then you start remembering your fifth grade teacher who gave you an F on your history project that you were sure you deserved an A on. It's bothered you ever since. Then you remember your first boyfriend who cheated on you with your best friend and you're still upset about that. And your friend who you lent $100 to owed you money and they got a ransom debt. And when are they going to pay you back that money? And you know what? I posted something on Facebook and nobody commented on it. My feelings are hurt. Nobody even pressed like on that thing. And I went to church, you know, I was there. Hardly anybody said hi to me. And all of a sudden, you're saying, you know what, I don't really think God loves me. And all of a sudden, you have another chain of thought that is pulling you from a place of peace to a place of anxiety. We build these chains so quickly and so easily in our life. This is exactly what Paul was doing, but with a much different outcome when he said these words. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, and whatever is praiseworthy. Think about that thing. What he was essentially saying is guard your mind by building chains of thought that will pull you into peace. The practice of guarding your mind is the practice of stringing sequential thoughts together that will bring you to a place of peace and away from a place of anxiety. That is why in Corinthians, Paul says this, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because that single thought on its own is not much of a threat. But if you allow it to rule your mind, it will bring you to a place that you never want it to be. In some of our lives, there are chains of thought that God is calling us to break. There are chains of thought that, that, that you play over and over and your mind is wrapped up in these chains. And God today is saying, I need you to break those chains. I need you to stop, start uh, removing the links on those chains. I need you to start uh, guarding your mind. I need you to start taking thoughts captive and disassembling those chains so that you're not being pulled into a place of anxiety. I need you to take thoughts captive. Take your thoughts captive. The practice of guarding our mind will determine whether we end up in a place of peace or in a place of anxiety, a place of peace or a place of bitterness, a place of peace or a place of lust, a place of peace or a place of, uh, or 
guard your mind. And don't allow those sequences of thoughts to get carried away because you will become imprisoned to your mind. Here's the last thing that Paul says, that if we want to experience peace, we need to practice a God-focused soul. So, by definition, just think of your soul as your emotional center. Your soul is that place within you where you most deeply feel needs. Your soul is where you feel the need for love. Your soul is where you need to the, the, you feel the need for security. Your soul is where you, you feel the need for value and meaning and appreciation. Your soul is where you feel the, the need for friendship and camaraderie. That's, that's where your soul is, right? Your soul is the center of all of these felt needs and everything that is within you. And what Paul says to this is Paul says, listen, how we deal with the needs of our soul and where we go to deal with the needs of our soul will ultimately determine where, whether you end up in peace or whether you end up in fear and anxiety. And if what we try to do is if we try to fill the emotional needs of our soul by turning to people, if we try to deal with the emotional needs of our soul by turning to politics and institutions and, and, and structures around us, if we try to meet the needs of our soul by watching the rise and the fall of the stock market and the security of our finances, if we try to fulfill the needs of our soul by the security of our job or the success of our lives or by the way we appear to people or the, the impression that people have of us, if that's the way we try to fulfill the needs of our soul, then we will always end up in a place of being unfulfilled and anxious. But Paul calls us to go somewhere else entirely to meet the deepest needs of our soul. So far we've been reading Philippians 4 out of the NIV. But this last verse, rendition of these verses comes out of the Passion Translation. And, and listen to how the Passion Translation says these words. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. There's that rejoicing. Tell Him every detail of your life, then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is this age-old message that we find in almost every page of Scripture. That peace is found when you first fulfill the needs of God. Peace is found when we say, God, before I go and talk to anybody, before I do anything, before I put a, a plan or a strategy in place, before I try to figure this out, I'm stopping, God, and I'm coming to you first. God, because you know my innermost being, because you live within me, because you are able to discern the difference between my own anxiety and my own ego and what's actually happening, because you, you are the most wise and you know me better than anyone else, and because you can fulfill me better than anyone else, I'm not going anywhere before I go to you. I'm going to seek first your kingdom, God. I'm going to seek first 
your faith, God. I'm going to seek forth your compassion, seek first your healing first. I'm going to go to you, God, and I'm going to allow you to meet my needs first. Because it's in that willingness to go to God first, and it's in that willingness to sit in the presence of God and to be patient enough to allow Him to meet our needs, to allow Him to unpack what we're feeling and to, to allow the Holy Spirit to give us revelation. It's in the willingness to do that that you experience a peace that passes all understanding. And I can tell you that in my life, the times when I have been most anxious, most unhinged, most angry, are those times when my soul was troubled and I decided to run ahead of God. I decided not to wait on God. I decided to essentially say, God, I don't have time to wait on you. Something needs to be done. See, the reality of life is things will need to be done. Decisions will need to be made. Relationships will need to be formed. Relationships will need to be broken. Places will need to be left. Places will need to be gone. You're going to need to make some decisions. But that's life. But don't ever make those decisions. Don't ever put those things into motion without coming to God first and saying, God, I'm stopping here. Because you're the one that can bring peace to my soul. And as a pastor, I've seen this over and over, not only in my life, but I see it in other people's lives, where there is emotional turmoil within them. There's emotional need within them. And they'll leave a church. They'll leave a marriage. They'll leave a job. They'll put in the motion some type of of solution to what they're feeling inside of them. And I'm like, oh, there's a way that seems right for a man, but in the end, just leads to death. Stop. Stop. Come to God. Fall on your knees before God. Wait in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, you're going to begin to feel the peace that passes all understanding. I'm going to call the worship team forward now. We live in a world that for some reason seems to delight, almost like an addict or an alcoholic, seems to delight on consuming anxiety. Have you ever watched the evening news? (laughs) They they peddle anxiety. And it's almost like we were creating this culture that is addicted to anxiety. I'm serious about this. We are becoming addicted to anxiety. It's gotten to the point now that if you are a person of peace, you are looked at as being the weird one. All of the anxious people will look at you as, what is wrong with that person? Not only are we given the promise that we can have the peace that passes all understanding, that Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace lives inside of us. In the same way that, that honey had the ability to swim, you and I have the ability to have peace if we put these things into practice. Not only is that promise given to us, but like with every promise of God, there is also a commission. That you and I are called to be people of peace in an anxious culture. That you and I are to speak words of peace to people. That you and I, with our presence, are are called to walk onto a boat where everybody is freaking out. And you and I can speak words of peace and bring whatever people have no access to. Our 
encouragement today to put into practice the things that Paul talked about. Put into practice having a glad heart. Put into practice having a guarded mind. Put into practice having a God-focused soul and become a man and woman of peace. As we close this service, I'm going to call the, the prayer team forward and I know we have a, a number of needs in the church. A number of people are struggling with, with health issues and, and, and various issues that we talked about today that are robbing us uh, of our peace. And, and as Mandy said uh, earlier, school's going back in and, uh, and that changes our schedule. And so there's just a lot of things going on. And I don't want anybody to leave here today without receiving what God has for them. We're going to sing this last song, and as we do, I want to encourage you to come forward. And if you're here today and just say, you know what? I need more of that peace that Dennis talked about today. I want you to come forward and have a prayer team pray for you. That they would pray into you the courage and the discipline to practice these things so that you can experience them. So let's stand together. Let me pray over you. The worship team will sing, and we'll come forward and minutes a few times. So God, I thank you for your promise of peace. And I thank you right now. No matter how foreign peace might seem to us and how little peace we might have ever experienced in our life, that, that the truth is that today the Prince of Peace lives within us. All of the peace in this world resides within us. And today you're giving us an opportunity to practice that and live that out. And as we go into this time of response, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in each of our lives. I pray for physical healing to happen this morning, for wounded hearts to be made whole, for anxious hearts to be calmed, for broken relationships to be restored. Do that now as your Holy Spirit moves and as the prayer team sings. Thank you. Let's uh, come forward to receive prayer.